Embiid to Curry. Back over to Embiid. Curry, the three is good. And the shot doesn't go. That's going to do it. Toronto Raptors will start the season 0 and 3. As you heard Matty D say there after the Raptors' third consecutive loss in the opening of this pandemic hit 2021 season, it's their worst start in 20 years. The Raptors have given up three double digit leads against, I wouldn't say three of the best teams in the NBA, but three serviceable outfits. Um, and so far, Nick Nurse is looking clueless, pretty much for the first time in his eventful Raptors tenure. To go through those games and look at the other fixtures in what has been a whirlwind opening to the season. Varel, welcome back to the podcast. What's up, Kamel? Mate, this has been, like you said, it's been a whirlwind, a hurricane. Any synonym is applicable because the whole league has been playing every two days. And so to keep up with, you know, all these different storylines, um, just like even the dearth of injury news, which has actually been a good thing, um, there's not been many injuries. We'll probably bring up the major one, which is Spencer Dinwiddie with the Nets. Um, we still, despite these lack of injuries, thankfully, we still have all these COVID restrictions and players that like, um, you know, James Harden being quarantined for COVID. So you've got all these, basically these non-stop um, games and you've also got all these extra storylines outside the league. So it's been tough. It's been tough keeping up, but um, hopefully we'll just... Uh, we'll, go, we'll give you guys a quick update on not just the Raps, but a quick update over the rest of the league in general. Yeah, I mean, the regular season so far has been disrupted, and that's been with all sports, really. If you follow the Premier League as well, you'll see games getting cancelled because, you know, the yeah. breakout within clubs and things. So that's something we're going to see, I think, throughout throughout the season, to be honest. I mean, playoffs, yeah, they're probably going to go into a bubble. But throughout the regular season, we're going to see things like this, you know. John Wall still hasn't made his debut for the Rockets. Uh, for example, yeah, uh, he's still in he's still in quarantine. If you can believe it, so it's 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 that kind of thing. But if we just look straight at the Raptors, um, a lot of Toronto fans are going to be very concerned, um, and I'm tempted not to reassure them because I think they should be. If you look at let's let's start with the Pelicans against the Raptors, 113 to 99. Ignoring the Pelican scoring exploits, you saw you had Ingram, of course, with 24, JJ Redick off the bench with 23, Zion with 15 and 10, he got double double, Bledsoe with 18, and Lonzo with 16, right? The, the Pelicans this year, I think, as we discussed in our preview, they're a solid outfit. They're also a team, if you're the Raptors, you should be comfortably beating, or at least not getting blown out by, especially if you come in trying to make your statement um, early on, as Toronto tend to do season by season, thankfully. But when you don't have a franchise player who can buy you a bucket, and last year, in the absence of Kawhi, that was Siakam. But as we've seen since the bubble, he's been really struggling with his shot. It might not show up necessarily in the stats because he's averaging 20 points a game. You know, he'll, he'll be that guy who gets you 20. But instead of 
facilitating others, drawing the double team maybe, he's going to get that 20 points off, you know, 45% shooting. If you look at what he did against the Pelicans, 8 of 17. If you look at what he did against the Spurs, 6 of 16. He then went 8 of 23 last night against the 76ers. And so you've got your franchise player, but he's just not shooting that well. And he won't continue to because he's continuing to make the same mistakes he did in the playoff bubble in terms of forcing shots, in terms of not doing what he does best, which is being that athletic guy who spins and jinks his way to the rim uh, and goes to the free throw line. He's barely been at the free throw line, by the way. He went uh, twice against the Spurs, once against the Pelicans, and didn't go at all yesterday probably scared of you know the likes of Embiid um that's just one issue there um and before we move on to the Spurs game throughout this Raptors team do you think it's just a lack of talent do you think okay they lost Kawhi one year and they sort of survived they held up to the semi-finals because they had those two veteran centers now they're gone you're replaced with Aaron Baines who statistically and in terms of the eye test hasn't really all played that well averaging less than seven rebounds a game and just eight points a game. Um, Do you think that the talent has just gone and Nick Nurse is going to have to try and work his magic with what is a substandard roster that cannot or does not have a great chance of going past the second round or even first round of the playoffs this year? Yeah, very good question, Kamel. And I think I want to break it down into uh, analysing this team offensively and defensively. You kind of um, have touched on it in general terms, in terms of when it comes to specifically Siakam and his role in the offence. But when we look at this offence generally, um, when Carl Lowry is not facilitating uh, as the primary playmaker, what I've seen is I don't think Fred Van Vliet is going to be that guy. So when Lowry eventually, um, you know, either retires or maybe he played like another season or two with another team, to me, Fred Van Vliet, when Carl Lowry isn't there, this offense loses its head completely. It has no idea what it's doing. Sometimes they'll swing it out to uh, Siakam on the wing and they hope that he can set something up by say backing down his man or you know, getting past the first man. But the issue, the first issue I wanted to highlight there was Siakam is something I uh, said in the playoffs. His dribble is not tight enough and he has so many problems with turning the ball over. Either he, he sometimes even turns the ball over when he's backing his man down on the post, when he's got his back to him, when he shouldn't really be doing that because obviously he's got his body to guard the ball, but he still turns the ball over in those situations. But when he's got the defender in front of him and he's trying to dribble past it, his dribble is so loose it's it looks so easy to steal um so i don't want him to be playing that role at all i know you said he needs to focus on his you know dynamic energetic fast break kind of play style but to be honest teams have figured that out as well like when it's on the fast break it's, sometimes teams will have like two guys on him um and might leave somebody else open in the corner because they realize that's where he generates the majority of his buckets and um I think due to that, Lowry is also aware of that and he's actually turned the ball over quite a few times trying desperately to get it to Siakam in the fast break, trying to get him going. Like, um, I've got some stats just to back that up as well. Lowry had six turnovers against the Pelicans. He had um, five, ooh, two turnovers against the Spurs, so that was 
maybe below average, but he had four turnovers against the Santa Sixers. And this is a playmaker point guard who typically, I think he's one of the less turnover prone point guards. He's, he makes very smart passes generally. And it's also reflected in the fact that you've got loads of turnovers from Siakam as well, four against the Pelicans, uh, five against the Spurs. So I think offensively, there's just, it's due to Siakam being so limited, I think, in his offensive game. It's really showing itself this season. Um, and when it comes to the defensive end, this is something I'd like your opinion on as well, Camille. I think we saw it against MB uh, yesterday, when even when it was uh, Baines on him or Len on him, it, they still, it seemed like the Raptors still needed three or two or three guys in the post just to be able to deal with it. And even when that was the case, Embiid was basically going wherever he wanted to, doing whatever he wanted to. He could either kick it out or... Um, there were times when Boucher was playing centre and it was a joke. There was like four guys in the paint, like, just throwing themselves at Embiid and they couldn't do anything. And I think it really shows how big a loss somebody like Gasol was, a player like um, Ibaka was, because we don't have the same rim protection. Alex Len certainly doesn't offer that. And Baines sort of he, he can somewhat play on that end but he doesn't compare to those two guys those two guys are elite defenders and um i think it showed against the San sixers it showed against zion who the only reason he didn't go off that game is because he, he was in foul trouble in the first half and then in the second half again he was he, he was completely just feasting in the post he ended up seven of nine um and what that means is because the defense then has to collapse to the center you also leave a lot of three-point shots open which that was one of the uh, Raptors biggest uh, assets last year was how good they were defending the three ball and then if you look at their stats um, again in all three of these games you had um, 45% from three against the Pelicans which in all fairness is a very good uh, three-point shooting team this year especially with Ingram and Ball those guys have really developed their three-point shots in the last few years but you even had um DeMar DeRozan, he went three or four from three. Ah, yeah. Five of six. Uh, the Spurs ended up 40%. And against the Santa Sixers, they actually did have a better game defending, especially in those first two quarters. I noticed how um, how many tough shots the Santa Sixers had to make. So the Sixers did shoot 25%. But I also think this Sixers team, despite the additions of Green and Curry, it's the way their team is set up because you have uh, two guys who are essentially in the post. Uh, but look what. Look what happened. You're going to struggle to find open three-point shots anyway. Um, look what happened right at the end with the 76ers. If you look at the dagger, so at the start of the podcast, you heard the clip of Curry's dagger three, which basically nailed the game, made it uh, yeah. 96-91. That was the defence twice collapsing on Embiid and twice Curry's defender had to play help defence on Embiid driving in, which just left him with an easy three at the top of the key. And it's exactly what you were talking about in terms of the lack of effective one-on-one rim protection, which draws in the help defence and, as you say, uh, makes it much easier to get open looks for other teams. Now, when we talk about solutions, Kamel, I don't... For that defensive issue, um, despite what I've just been saying now, every team doesn't have a player like Embiid. It doesn't have a player like Zion Williamson where you're going to have that kind of trouble. I think Alex Len should be given virtually no minutes because he just doesn't do anything on that end. Who does something on that end is um, obviously Aaron Bain, I said a little bit, but Boucher, when, when he's played there, 
when he's playing against somebody like MB, the size difference is just too much to overcome. But when he's playing against some of these smaller power forwards, even against somebody like Zion, maybe he's a bit too skinny for somebody like Zion. But um, uh, which game was it? Uh, I was looking at his stats. Um, he had an out ridiculous game. The seven block seven game? Seven blocks. Yeah, against the Spurs. Seven block game against the Spurs. He was outrageous in that game. Um, and it was really visible, like how much trouble his length was causing for them. Um, he also had two blocks against the Pelicans as well. Like He was super disruptive, uh, and he has been super disruptive uh, all season. We know his limitations in terms of his offense, but um, frankly, Gasol wasn't putting up a lot of points for the Raptors when he played a similar role for them uh, the past two years. So I'd actually like to see Boucher get more minutes. I don't know if you agree with that, Kamal. No, yeah, the center, as we were sort of saying at the start, is the most difficult position for Nick Nurse to sort out. Boucher is almost the ideal guy, as you say. You know, he's a great rim protector, and his blocking ability has increased year on year. He just does not have that size. He is extremely skinny, and he'll get dominated in the post a lot. And the Raptors don't have, in Siakam, they don't have that, you know, uh, muscular power forward who can maybe take Uh, a larger center while... uh, Boucher has more rim protecting duties, for example. So yeah, yeah, it's just a lack of pure bulk, really. I mean, uh, you can't say much more than that. They don't have a Stephen Adams would have been maybe someone who's maybe ideal alongside um, someone like Boucher. But again, uh, that's just hypotheticals. At the moment, it's an extremely tough position to sort out. I don't know who do you keep starting Baines? Do you put Boucher? Do you take it matchup by matchup? Do you just accept against the larger more dominant centers you're gonna lose you're gonna give up 30 points you know what what goes on what what, what does Nick Nurse do with this yeah, problem and, yeah and um I think that was a great suggestion matchup by matchup like we said if you've got the bigger more bruising centers sure you, you don't pay Boucher any minute but against the center sixers why is Boucher in five minutes and why is Alex M playing 21 but I know it's MB but I think Boucher should be almost a secondary centre. Now he's he's kind of third on the depth chart, but I think he needs to be higher up because the other advantage with Boucher is he's so much more capable of defending on the perimeter as well. So if you've got a three-point shooting centre uh, or somebody who plays from the mid-range, somebody like Marcus, uh, the Marcus Aldridge, for example, he can also come out further than somebody like Alex Den. I know I'm just blasting on Alex Den, but Alex Den does suck. I think this is something that needs to be said. He's, he's not a good fit for this team. Um, yeah, maybe he doesn't suck, but he's, he just doesn't fit well with this team, in my opinion. So I just think Boucher needs to be certainly the reserve centre. And in some games, when you're not playing against the likes of Embiid, I would even like to see him sharing minutes with uh, Aaron Baines. And if you, are, if you look at the bigger picture, if you are looking at this season from a front office perspective, as not a rebuilding season, but a retooling season while and a developing season while you wait for a big free agent in 2021, what is the point of giving minutes to Alex Len ahead of someone like Boucher, who is raw and who we know has that talent, and who the front office have been trying to develop for three years now when no one else really gave a chance on him? But they sort of saw that, you know, once he clicks, he's going to be a brilliant, brilliant player. Why not just give him those minutes? I mean, yeah. Uh, it's, it's, um, I don't know what else to say. This team looks like it might not even make the playoffs. And he's not young, bear in mind, because he's, his um, journey to the league 
uh, and a journey with Zealand. It's something we talked about in a previous podcast. We kind of looked at his history, but um, he's not a young player. But the point is, he hasn't played a lot of uh, top-level NBA basketball, and he had really severe restrictions in terms of minutes, minutes last year in the bubble and the playoffs. I thought that was a bit bizarre, but maybe he was doing something in training, which uh, uh, probably offensively, of course, uh, that Nick Nurse wasn't happy with. But um, I don't know. He doesn't need to be shooting three-pointers, in my opinion. He doesn't really need to stretch the floor um, if he's playing as a four or five. So, yeah, I 100% agree. Why don't we develop the likes of Chris Boucher? Why don't we um, give more minutes to the likes of Matt Thomas, for example, as well? Oh, you know what I like to hear? Matt Thomas uh, hasn't taken too much of a stride this season. He's only got, uh, in the first game, he shot three from five from three-point line two from five in the second game and uh, one from two yesterday. So again, he's proving a useful tool off the bench. Um, one game, so we've moved on quickly to the Spurs game. I know we've covered quite a lot of it, but it looked like for a long time the most cohesive Raptors performance uh, right up until the fourth quarter. The Raptors dropped a double-digit lead in this game. It was mainly down to DeMar DeRozan, but also a lot of the rotation players from the Spurs. And the Spurs... You know, this year they're looking pretty good. They have a good record. Um, it's two and one so far. Um, if you look at again, sorry, at the Raptors side, you had Boucher with 22 points. Van Vliet popped off five threes, 27 points. Lowry had 10 assists. Even Aaron Baines uh, got into double figures. And you had then Siakam a bit weak on 16 points and OG on 10 points. But in that aspect, you know, you had to have everyone. With this team, you have to have everyone in double digits and you have to have a spark off the bench because you don't have that talisman. And when someone, as we saw yesterday against Philly, when one or two players in the starting lineup don't turn up, there's no contingency anymore. There's no Kawhi, there's no Siakam going off to 30 a game and being all-star. Quite frankly, there's no all-star in this team anymore. So it requires almost a San Antonio-like approach or a Denver Nuggets approach in terms of getting every single person contributing because you cannot cannot afford to have someone playing for example 35 minutes and scoring single digits it's a, it's it's a real problem and i think coming back to that just lack of talent and the difficulty of nick nurse's job i know he's been criticized in these three losses for dropping leads and not taking timeouts at the right time but he has one of the most difficult jobs especially with the standards he's being held up to uh, since his championship win yeah i think that's an excellent point I think on that, we can maybe transition yes. to looking at some other teams and some other games. I think we need to start purely for the mean um, with that Clippers-Mavericks performance because I'm sure that felt so good for that whole Dallas franchise, but uh, especially for Luka Doncic after last year's playoffs. Yeah, I mean, what what did you what did you see from Dallas? Are they ev- are they an even better outfit now than last year? Have they exceeded your preseason expectations? I know it's a very small sample size, but what have no. you seen from them, especially yeah, in this game? The issue with Dallas is Kamel. Um, we they're still dealing with Porzingis's injury issues, so um, this looks like something. I, I hope it doesn't just continue season after season, but. If he's going to miss um, a good chunk of regular season games, um, then that's just not going to help the team. That's that's why they're one and two. They're without their secondary star, and um, it's a team we've like, we talked about last year how deep they were. Um, but you know they did 
uh, lose the likes of Seth Curry, but they, uh, for him, they did get somebody like Josh Richardson, who's actually played fairly well for them so far. They did get, uh, I want to say Al Horford, but I don't think that's correct. Um, no, no, I, I don't think that's correct. Um, but yeah, Josh Richardson played really well against the Clippers, but when we look at just that Clippers game, uh, Kamel, it wasn't the fact that the Mavericks played like, you know, this outstanding basketball because the reason the Clippers had 73 points was because they missed a stupid number of open shots, uh, especially from three uh, in that first half because, I mean, the media have talked about this. Where is the leadership? Their, their heads just absolutely dropped as, as soon as they went down like of 10 or 12 points uh, which was pretty early on in the first three four minutes you have the likes of Luke Kennard missing those open threes but the biggest culprit of them all was Paul George just missing a ridiculous number of open shots he again airballed from the corner again which oh mate um, I mean to be fair the whole Clippers team was four from 33 four from 33 yes yeah 12% from three four of 33 (laughs)26 of 76 34% and it's something the media also said they didn't come back in the second half because they were down by 50 in the first in the second half they they were trying but um, it just there's no fight like they just completely gave up and they were of course without Kawhi Leonard but Kawhi Leonard shouldn't make that big a difference for this team and I think it does actually show one thing Camille which is that Kawhi Leonard is more of a leader than uh, people said last year they, they put a lot of blame on him saying oh he's not that type of vocal leader blah 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 but the point is Kawhi got it done with Toronto and uh, after last year people saying oh yeah it's because of players like Lowry that's why Lowry was the vocal leader and allowed Kawhi literally just to play his game that, there might be some truth to that but this game showed that Kawhi's his level headedness and his like emotional maturity is it does really help his teams on the court he doesn't get too down when things aren't going well he doesn't get too up when, uh, sorry he doesn't get too down when things are going badly and vice versa and I think that's such an important quality for one of your star players and it's something that clearly Paul George doesn't have Paul George just folds like a bloody chair when things are going badly he inspires no confidence in his teammate you can see from his body language like, he just doesn't want to be there when his team goes down like 20 points and can you fix that, Kamel? That kind of emotional fragility? Is that is that something? How, how do you work on that? How do you improve on that? It just, I mean, when they signed those two together, they thought, you know, they'd almost be, you need that duo of Kawhi and George to succeed. But realistically, George is a, contributing as about as much as a, just an average role player would do. You know, I, you don't see any difference this season between someone like George and someone like Batum or Canard or you know, someone like, players like that, there's just no star element that we can see. Instead, he's playing within himself. He looks like he's playing under extreme pressure. And of course, he is from all sides, from his team, from other teams, from press, from podcasts like us. Um, So, until Kawhi comes back, and, you know, he's been out for a couple of games now with an apparent mouth injury, it's just going to be difficult for the Clippers. And, I know I backed him at the start, but wow, this is looking really, really poor. It seems like they can only get their game up against the big boys, against the likes of the Lakers, the Nuggets, 
to their credit, yesterday they did put in a solid performance against the Timberwolves. And Paul George, he played okay. He shot six from 12 from the field for 18 points. Very average. Again, no star quality, as I was saying, coming there. But I'm not sure how the Clippers really solved their solved their issues in the playoffs here from what the evidence I've seen so far. Once they go down, once their heads drop, they're not coming back. As you said, they're not trying. They're not, they don't have that mental strength. And I think Kamel, um, for me, they do actually look like they've got a more balanced roster this year. They do look like they are more capable. I think they made improvements, yeah. I, I think it's just the mental side. And I do disagree with you about the lack of talent from Paul George because Paul George has all the talent in the world. When, when well, he's playing within himself at the minute. It's, it's his own, yeah. he's, in his, he's in a hole at the minute. Yeah, exactly. Um, but I think um, the lack of, uh, you know, when he, when he uh, threw Doc under the bus last year, I think uh, it seems over time there's been a, uh, an accumulation of evidence that he just doesn't, when, when he's at fault, he doesn't like to look in the mirror and say to himself, look, I could have actually done something different. It seems as if it's always somebody else's case, uh, fault. That might not be the case. That could just be the media spin and narrative. I, I don't bloody know. I'm not inside his head. Uh, who is inside his head? It's probably Jamal Murray. But um, yeah, I, I I really wanted to succeed. I know a lot of people just enjoy shitting over him, but he like in his Pacers days, he was such a stud, and um, uh, he he did have that season with OKC where he was like a third place MVP candidate and. Um, I do think he can reach those levels again. Um, I'm not sure what's needed. I don't think a coach like Ty Lue will bring the best out of him. I think it's somebody like a Popovich or a Spolstra who will actually challenge him. Uh, potentially they may have arguments, they may have frictions, but somebody who's going to stand up to his BS, essentially. Yeah, no, can't disagree with that. Um, and let's just, let's just move on to another game, which I know you'd want to highlight as well. Uh, just I'll start off with a question how does Giannis only score 9 points and the Bucks blow out the Miami Heat by almost 50 what kind of what kind of performance was this this must have been bizarre I didn't watch this myself but it seemed like a very strange box score when you look at it yeah no um, well one big reason Jimmy Butler wasn't there and again uh, again shows how uh, big a leader he is for this team but what I found really cool, it, it just was cool watching the, the threes that they were taking. So many of them were then bringing the ball up the court and taking straight away threes. Uh, not even really in the transition, like it's just while, uh, sorry, not on the fast break, but just in transition where the Heat were just back getting back on defense and then you would just have somebody just pull up or somebody would, who'd also followed the shooter on the floor would set a screen uh, for the shooter and he would just come and pull up so so many of these threes were early in the shot clock they were the first five seconds eight seconds and uh i mean the bucks were great at this last year weren't they Camille? they were a great three-point shooting team last year and um it's this game showed despite you know the Bucks' wobbly start like they still have the potential to just um absolutely blow out teams and you did like you said um it was surprising that despite Yanis's lack of production that they were still able to do this but I think it does say one thing that this Drew Holiday trade is could potentially be the missing piece for them he was uh, 9 of 15 6 of 10 from the 3 
and uh, we all we talked about Camille how good he is defensively but if he can kind of bring this offensive output more regularly more consistently for him it's just to be more aggressive because he does have it in his locker in my opinion um, if he's just able to be this aggressive I think that gives them the best chance of winning yeah, I think as we said in the preseason, uh, they are one of the few teams, I guess, who've really, really built on their roster without losing anyone significant. Uh, the role play, well, sorry, not their role players, the star players are delivering from last year. And of course, you just see, uh, you just look at the box score on the bench, you know, Bobby Portis um, contributing 11 points, nine assists, Bryn Forbes uh, shooting five from eight off the bench, DJ Augustine as well, double digits. Um, it's a it's it's a good outfit. It's a scary outfit, and I'm surprised that they're only two and two so far. If I'm honest, um, losses I guess surprise losses against the Knicks and a tight loss, a lucky loss, an unlucky loss against Celtics. Sort of balancing out what is what is a dominant Milwaukee side and what will continue to be over the rest of the season. What other games have you uh, has caught your fancy so far? Um, I wanted to quickly ask you, Kamel, because, of course, early in the season, we do get uh, what could be described as aberrations, where we get teams randomly um, posting up 4-0. But if you actually look behind the scenes, it, it more than likely would have been due to like an easier schedule, for example. But so far, the only two unbeaten teams we have are the Hawks and the Magic, which, um, you know, if you'd ask... What? Are you kidding me? The Magic are 4-0 and the Hawks are 3-0. Now, I mean, they, that, that's flown under the radar, big time. I mean, the Hawks, wow. we could say, like, we haven't really... Dis- I think I may have uh, discussed their roster moves on the podcast. I'm not sure if I did, but it's not actually massively surprising for me that the Hawks are doing that well. But uh, the Magic, 4-0, was crazy to me. Okay, I mean, and, two, uh, two were against the Wizards. I mean, just to, not to caveat, yeah, just to caveat. I know, I know, I know. Yeah, 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 exactly. But they did get a win against the Heat with... Um, a heat that didn't have Jimmy Butler playing and they did beat the Thunder away from home and you know the Thunder may be like you know favourites to finish bottom of the West but they're still a decent team the thing with this Magic team is the reason why I think this 4-0 doesn't mean that much uh, is because Aaron Gordon just doesn't he hasn't seemed to have found his role in this team he his best season was in 2017-18 when he had uh, 17 uh, points that year. He was uh, shooting, you know, 45%, uh, 34% from three. And then ever since then, he's kind of regressed. Last year, he was such a disappointing player for me. I was expecting him to really take strides to, you know, become a 20-point per game, like, borderline all-star type player. But, uh, yeah, that just hasn't happened. And this season, he's still been disappointing. He's, shot, he's been shooting 20% from three, which is just unacceptable. Um, so... I think there's there's a ceiling for this team just because he should be potentially, you know, their second best player after Vucevic. Vucevic, by the way, has been unbelievably good. Uh, it's the main reason why they've been doing so well. But other players who've actually done really well come out. Uh, Terrence Ross, we talked about. Oh, yeah. The, we, love, we love Terrence on this podcast. Yeah, I, I mean, I think you, I'd like you to discuss that. But um, we talked about him being streaky, but. Um, I'm just I've got stats up here he shot 43% so far from three 51% from the floor and he's been super consistent 21 points a game I've looked at his uh, stats in all four of those games just super consistent 
and Markel Fultz has been revolutionary and I don't think I've seen anyone talk about him. He's shot, Camille. Um, Let me get this up because I couldn't believe it when I first saw it. He's been shooting 93% from the free throw line. And I know um, it's been four games, so I think it's been like 14 three throw shots. So he's made 13 of 14, but this is a guy who literally forgot how to shoot. And now he's actually seems like he's slowly getting that back. He's still only 30% from three. At least he's taking two and a half threes a game. So he's increasing his volume a little bit. And the low amount of footage that I've seen of him so far, like it doesn't seem to have as much of a hitch in his shot, but it's his other aspects of his games that have been great. Like his assisting has been fantastic this year, his playmaking. Um, he's a guard who's, you know, athletic. He's been getting a good number of rebounds, but yeah, he's been quietly having a very good season for himself. And with 18 points a game, like, it'd be so strange for us to be talking about him as a borderline all-star in, say, two, three months' time. He's a player that has, I don't think many people have discussed before this season, but I'm so happy to see him doing well. So both him and Terrence Ross are players that, yeah, we'll just have to wait and see whether they can keep this up against better opposition. Yeah, I mean, you look at their roster, and even if you look at their overall stats over four games, it seems extremely well-rounded. Their weakness generally has been that uh, backcourt. We've never really had any worries if you're a Magic fan about Vucevic who's been delivering pretty much at an all-star level for the last three seasons I mean Aaron Gordon of course very inconsistent but you know Vucevic has almost been holding him up in that sort of lower playoff zone but yeah I mean Fultz they took a chance on him and he succeeded and uh, the Philadelphia front office must be must be looking behind right now just with a tinge of regret because uh, their boy, their project has finally come good, uh, which is, yeah, I mean, that's all I have to say about that. Uh, you've also mentioned the Hawks and that's their three victories in a row. It's mainly been, of course, due to Trey Young, who scored 37, 36 and 29 uh, a piece. But of course, again, to caveat, it's been against Detroit, Chicago and Memphis, three yeah. lottery teams. So... How do we see the Hawks this year? A lot of people think they're going to become better. I mean, they did make some good pickups. Gallinari, Bogdanovich, Rondo, Capella. But, and of course, Trey Young, who had an excellent debut season. Was it his debut season last year or was it his uh, sophomore season? Uh, I, I want to say it was, it was a sophomore, but that might be incorrect. But either way, he'll have a second or third year bounce. Uh, wh- wh- how, where do you think they're going this year? Have the, has the Hawks' performance so far impacted your preseason predictions at all? Um, to be honest, Coombe, uh, uh yeah, it was his uh, second campaign last year, but to be honest, Coombe, uh they're as good offensively as I expected them to be. The struggles I thought this team would have would be more defensively. Those were the massive struggles that they had last year. So, again, against better opposition, I think we'll just have to see if... Yeah, well, well, they got two games more. against the Brooklyn Nets coming up back to uh, not quite back to back 31st and the 2nd of January interesting be, yeah sorry they'll, they'll do, um, be and do you want to quickly talk about what you've seen from the Nets this year maybe oh yeah I mean I mean when I I watched I, I think everyone one game it's been a whirlwind season but the one game everyone sat down for probably was that opener Nets against the Warriors and 
the way Steve Nash has got these Nets playing, it just makes you want to watch them. Now I want to watch them more than the Raptors. I'm, I'm saying that proudly. They're just such a beautiful team to watch. Kyrie seems back in his prime. KD, he's back. You know, last time he played, as we said before, was Game 5 of the 2019 Finals. But he's come back straight without playing any games. He's putting up 27 a game on good shooting percentages. 53% from uh, the field. Kyrie, 61% from the field. And they've got that typical Nets depth. Karis LeVert leading the bench unit, 17 points. Of course, they now have Dinwiddie, who's out with an ACL for the whole season. But again... They picked up DeAndre Jordan and Jarrett Allen were sharing those minutes at centre. And you struggle to see how this Nets team aren't going to be in the top three of the East this season. I know they're 2-2. Two and two. I know that after the win against the Warriors, they did. They've suffered a couple of losses to weaker teams, Charlotte and Memphis. But, I mean, are you going to really expect a team with Durant and Irving not only to make the playoffs, but, of course, to sweep through, I guess, I'm guessing, to the Eastern Conference Finals at the minimum. Well, um, I think the reason for those losses, I'm not sure if it's for both games, but certainly one of the games, both both those guys sat. Yeah. So the, yeah. the, the issue is, yeah. their, their regular season record, might they might end up as a 4-5 seed if they do choose to do that, which I think will actually be the very smart thing to do, Kamel, because um, I would recommend everyone to watch a video by Jimmy High Roller, a YouTube channel, but awesome YouTube channel. I'm sure most of you guys listening probably heard of him. But he talked about... Um, people coming back from Achilles injuries. We also talked about the impact different injuries had on our podcast. We have like a medical podcast with um, Dr. Rigisi. Well, not quite doctor, maybe in a couple of years' time. But um, <laughs> the number of players that come back successfully from Achilles injuries is just stupidly low. Or who come back maybe just as good or, he's, or even better. And he said the only player that really applies to is Dominique Wilkins in all of NBA history when it comes to like star players who've come back that well from an Achilles and so with Durant I think he's benefited massively from the fact that he's been out for 18 months and he hasn't been rushed back from from an Achilles but to make sure he keeps that same level of explosiveness that we've seen from him so far he's been dunking Camille he's been driving hard to the rim he hasn't settled in just great outside the shot although, although um, he did get dunked on by Terry Rozier let's not yeah he did uh, I thought you were going to bring that up but um, yeah, I mean, um, I think it is actually the smart strategy for them to maybe sit, especially Durant, to sit him maybe every four to five games against some of these um, lower conference teams. Yeah, that makes sense. I mean, I think that's all the teams we're going to go through to today because we could go through the uh, ins and outs of pretty much every NBA team. But I guess those are the four or five we've noticed apart from the Raptors. In terms of Toronto, uh, they have New York up next. It's a big chance to whip up their first uh, dub of the season, especially with a couple of difficult games at New Orleans and Boston to come. But then again, let's not totally judge any team until they've played at least 10 games. Because as you said, schedule matters, rustiness matters, new coaches, uh, new systems, of course, still come into play. Um, I guess before we finish, though, Portland against the LA Lakers. That was a big game. And I know you wanted to have a little word about that just before we finish up. Uh, yeah, I will have to do this very quickly. I think this has been a bit bit on the longer side. But um, Portland, um, rather than just talking about specifically about the game, I think from what I've seen from them, with the, the amazing thing about this team is that they've got 
real guard depth now. Um, so when uh, you have Dame and um, CJ McCollum sit, you have Rodney Hood and Gary Trent Jr. coming off the bench for them. Uh, you've got obviously um, Mr. Center, who I'm uh, Yusuf Nurkic. Uh, they also have Ennis Cantor as the backup center. Yeah. They have Carmelo. They have Robert Covington now. He's looked really good for them. So this team genuinely looks like a real title contender. And when I was watching that game, I thought to myself, the only thing I, in my opinion, that this team needs to actually push them over the line is to have maybe not a superstar forward but to have at least a star level forward because the rest of their roster I think is just perfectly rounded out but um, Robert Covington is really good at what he does but he's primarily a 3 and D guy so I was looking at this team and thinking so if they were to play LeBron or if they were to play Kawhi who on that team is guarding them I, and I couldn't really find an answer. Yeah, Eric Jones argue, Jr. Yeah, <laughs> maybe you could, not. No, you you could um, obviously argue Robert Covington is, but okay, say if Robert Covington is doing that. So, offensively, is Dame going to get it done? Say if in crunch time they decide to switch on something like Kawhi onto Dame, like is he good enough to get it done? You could argue yes, he is from what we saw from the playoffs last year, but. I have my doubts, and only because he's he's six foot. Like if he was, he had a couple of inches, I'd be like, yeah, maybe. If he was like Steph, maybe, but uh, six four, six five. But yeah, I I don't know if uh, what your opinion on that is, but I do think if they were before the season to make a trade for that type, that mold of player, maybe I would have then put them as real favourites, maybe to win. But at the moment, I just see them as like a potential three or four seed. Yeah, I mean, there's little doubt that this is the best Blazers roster, I think, in years. They've finally been loyal to Lillard and gotten some help. Um, But you're right. I mean, who knows at the deadline if they keep up? They're two and one so far. But if they keep up the way they're playing, then they're going to be a buying team at the deadline. And maybe they'll give up some of the picks or young players they've been developing over the years. You know, I think that you've got to remember people like Zach Collins and stuff are still out. But, you know, they become options to give up. They like Zach Collins, Harry Giles and Anthony Simons, all good young players. If the yeah. That's if the Blazers want to go for it. I mean, Dame, what, maybe has three, four years at his prime? So maybe it's now or never. Maybe it's now or never, especially with the Lakers are going to be your main opposition in the West. But it's, it's a difficult one. But the way, of course, the way they played against the Lakers... Gary Trent Jr., 28 points. I mean, he's looking special. He's looking special at the moment. And uh, I'm sure we'll have uh, our resident Portland expert, Jeffries, Samuel Jeffries, on to have a word about Portland very soon, especially when the Raptors play him in a few games. And we'll we'll definitely focus more on that. And uh, I think it's a nice way to round things off. I think. this Raptors team, I mean, we've, we've got our fingers crossed, like you, you talked about their schedule coming up. Um, but yeah, it's been, I think, a super entertaining start to the season. Um, it's been so nice to see NBA basketball back. I mean, we did have the preseason two, three weeks ago, but it didn't quite feel the same. And I know we're probably all waiting for the time when fans can actually enter the arena, because I think I'm right in saying, Kamel, that they're still not allowed to enter, right? I think, no, they're not allowed to enter in many, many cases. I think there's one or two teams which are allowing them. But, I mean, even if that when they come back, the Raptors are in Tampa Bay. 
Um, yes. <laughs> they're not going to have their, their Canadian base out there. So it's going to be difficult for the Raptors throughout this regular season. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, that is a nice way to round it off. Uh, you know, if I'm staying just about positive on Nick Nurse and the boys so far, but if there is a loss to the Knicks uh, coming up, then I'm afraid I think things are going to go a bit AWOL in this podcast and the wider Raptors community. Uh, let's hope that isn't the case. Let's hope there's no meltdown and uh, there's a comfortable win against RJ Barrett and co. Royal, thanks very much again for being on the podcast. Catch you all next week. Thank you.